Hi, I'm John Stevens. This is Matt Russell. And this is Pod Have Mercy. This is Pod Have Mercy. Well, Matt, I don't know if you uh, knew this, but there's a lot of things going on in the world. <laughs> yes. And one of the big things that I think is on a lot of people's mind. The Texas Tech game. Yes. Well, that's good. Did they play? They always are playing, but they always break my heart. Yeah. But that's not what's on everybody. Well, and mind. no, and I think also <laughs> last night I was with a, a Texas Longhorn and a Baylor Bear, so oh. that's going to be like a coin flip toss, I yeah. think, this yeah, week. Yeah, yeah, Which Texas is not happy about, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot going on in the world, but everything, I thought this week and next week, you and I would spend some time talking about bum, 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 the election. Yeah. Because yeah, then there's that. whether we want to stick our heads in the sand or not, we don't have a choice. The reality is, is this is kind of like the centerpiece of a yeah. lot of things for people. And it's in the midst of, what was the thing you showed me? There's ordinary stress and anxiety. Yeah. Then there's COVID stress and anxiety. Then there's work stress and anxiety. Then there's economic stress and anxiety. Then there's racial recalibration and stress and anxiety. And then there's fill in the blank anxiety and fill in the yeah. blank. And, fill, and then there's this huge election which a lot of people are putting a lot of uh, angst. It's just, yeah, it's a lot of added anxiety. Are you anxious about the election? No, I'm not. I mean, I think that um, something you said a couple of weeks ago and something I think I've learned over time is that, um, particularly as, like I've, like, as, I've, as I've realized, I think I am a Christian. <laughs> um, and that because of that, um, those, those things come and go. But the the call to live in a particular way in the world, um, you know, um, is is what we're called to be and be shaped by. And so I think some of that is alleviated. You said something last week or a couple weeks ago about, you know, um, really who wins the election. It doesn't matter who wins. It doesn't. Our calling is now. A lot of people don't agree with that statement. Sure. And they have very passionate reasons for why. Yeah. They don't agree with that statement, but. Let's, you know, we, we live in the moment and we only seem to know what we know in front of us. But let's let's pull back a little bit. Yeah, maybe to, we need to unpack what we mean to, by to it doesn't 2, matter. 2,000 <laughs> years of Christian history, right? Right. And then we can even pull back to 4,000 years of Judeo-Christian history. And But let's just, let's just with Christianity. Christianity was birthed in under an emperor. It was not a democracy. It was for Rome a very wonderful setup, but for the Hebrews in Israel, it was a very oppressive system, which is why you have like Judas Iscariot who wants to, you know, rebel. They have these zealots that want to uh, uh, rebel when they release uh, Barabbas, Barabbas, right? He is accused of being a, a zealot who's trying to work actively to overthrow the oppressors of Rome, right? We've lived in this politics since... Yeah the beginning days, the first 300 years of Christianity are under emperors who persecuted Christians. Mm-hmm. You know, the people know these stories about throwing into these coliseums with lions and being killed or burned on stakes, very atrocious images, right? Mm-hmm. But then even after Christianity became the religion of the empire in the fourth century, you have this sort of place where now Christianity becomes the center of power or a seat at the table. But that's not the, always the way it's been throughout history in every culture. There have been 
there have been Christians who have lived in socialist countries and communist countries and dictator countries and uh, fascist countries and countries that oppressed Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you know, in mm. Germany who stood up against fascism and Hitler and, you know, was martyred for his faith. There have been Christians throughout the ages that have been martyred who stood up to the powers and the principalities of government. So when I say it doesn't matter who wins, within the United States of America, we're talking about a, a Republican or a Democrat. And some people want to turn one or the other into, you know, the worst fascist or the worst authoritarian or the worst empire of whatever. It's the whole thing. Yeah. You know, people are ready to move to Canada. Yeah. If so and so wins, right? And yeah. I'm just saying, let's take a deep breath and remember uh, who it is that we ultimately worship and serve and that governments come and go yeah. and leaders come and yeah. go. It's yeah. going to be okay. May not be your preferred candidate, may not be your preferred party. It's going to be okay. Yeah. And, and I also think that then our calling and our work as a community at Chapelwood doesn't change. There, as, I, as I look at it, say, the, the work that we're doing in the school systems, there's still there's still work to be done among kids. There's still work to be done among um, uh, food issues in our community. There's still work to be done uh, in terms of um, in terms of helping folks kind of scale up to better paying jobs for more sustainable family life. All those things won't change. And so there's a sense in which at the top, yeah, it ma there's some things that matter about that. I get that. But in terms of the everyday contextual sense of what it means to be a believer in Jesus and to be faithful to that calling, um, that's, that's when those powers and principalities, um, um, they, they will change. And it's, it is about power where what we're attempting to do is upend all that by love, by deference, by justice, all those things will continue to, um, to, to call us forward. Yeah. And so in October and November, we've been working through some spiritual disciplines yeah. on Sunday mornings and in other places and spaces, particularly drawn from, of course, Scripture first, but also from Howard Thurman, his book, Disciplines of the Spirit. Yeah. Howard Thurman is a theologian, politician, poet, preacher, uh, and influencer of Martin Luther King Jr. when he was a PhD student, I think, at Boston. Uh, and he heard him preach on a national uh, radio show and was drawn to him. And it was Howard Thurman who was the one that undergirded or defined what it was to be a nonviolent mm. reactionary movement, which I think is a powerful Christian witness. Yeah. And he even went to India in 1936 to study with, or to, just to learn and meet Mahatma Gandhi wow. and to understand the nonviolence that they were engaged in. But he interpreted all of that work through the Christian lens of, of, the, of the life and the teachings of Jesus, which I think are extremely powerful. But he gave us these non-traditional disciplines. And the first one he talks about in his book, there's five of them, but the first one is commitment. And I love how he talks about how Jesus is not asking for us to reprioritize our list of commitments and figure out where God fits. Yeah, I am third. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, but that basically... There is no other commitment yeah. except for God. Yeah. God is the soul center. Psychologists call that an organizing principle, right? So it's the principle in your life that sits at the center of your life that everything else um, gets organized around. And so if security 
um, is your organizing principle, I need to have enough, I need not to feel hungry or not, I need to have um, enough um, money in the bank, enough prestige, whatever that is, everything else gets organized around that. Hmm. And so um, um, I love that, you know, in the 30s, I guess, he's raising this up as saying, what is the... <laughs> Was of ultimate concern. Well, not just on a practical level. <clears throat> I know so many people in their lives. We've always, I, even when I was growing up, in a in a pretty conservative church, and the way we were taught as youth is your priorities. You know, look at what look at your checkbook, and now you know your priorities. Look at your bank statement, and then you know your priorities. I would say to people, look at your Facebook posts, and you know your priorities. If there was a way that you could pull up, I wish people do this. I don't know. Can you do this, Jeff? Sure. Can you go to your Facebook? No, I'm just asking, oh. can you? I don't know. <laughs> Let's go could, to Charlie's Could Facebook. one go to your Facebook page and do some kind of an algorithm or some search for like, what's, what, do I, what did I talk about most this past year on my Facebook page? You know those word clouds? Wouldn't it be fascinating if people uh. could go to their Facebook page and say, prioritize for me the things I talked about the most. And if it's politics, then I want to ask you to really reevaluate your life. Yeah. If it shows up like Biden or Trump or, you know, Hunt or Fletcher or whatever your, your, your politics are or Republican or Democrat, I would really ask you to think about if that comes up as the top things on your social media post then, and, and you're a Christ follower, that would be something that would awaken me. I wonder if, if that can be done. I think it comes back to your, your algorithm and your echo chamber of like what you've been talking about comes back to you so if you primarily see trump as whatever or biden as whatever that's probably what you've been talking about or engaging well with. facebook picks up your algorithm so you're going to see articles yeah. that are based on what you post and you believe so what's going to happen is when you go to your facebook your social media your twitter whatever else you are seeing things that you already agree with and you're going to go hey everybody thinks the way i do have you seen the social dilemma? The Netflix. Uh, no, I have not. It that's that is worth seeing. I, I think in some ways it's like this prophetic unmasking of the kind of world that we have created and constructed, and it's fantastic. It's on Netflix. It's called the social dilemma. It's made me rethink um, all of that, particularly as it as it relates to my kids, hmm. and just to realize that. Um, you know, they're, they're out that this generation's outside less <laughs> there. There are, there are all these implications that come with both the, the psychology and the function of all that stuff and the world that we've created in terms of its antagonism. I think it's a great documentary. Well, I think the, I think it's very important for us, especially as, as Christ followers to work towards the understanding, you know, do we have a list of commitments where we say God is at the top? And I would argue that many times in my life, I have said God is at the top, but I'm not really sure that I have lived in such a way that yeah. makes that true. Yeah. You can deceive yourself into believing that's the case, but what does your life manifest? What do you live? What do you say? How do you treat people? Yeah. How do you talk about things? How do you view the world? Yeah. That's the real test. That's right. And um, I think the other thing is thinking in terms of where it starts, the commitment begins inside of our lives not outside. So those three questions in that first chapter he talks about with commitment are, you know, who am I? What do I want? And how do I propose to get what I want? We talked about this last week. And he said, you have to start with who am I? Because if you start with what do I want, you're going to be driven by selfish motivation. Yeah. 
So if I start with what do I want, if that's the question I start with, that's an exterior question. Everything's focused on the outside. What do I want is gonna lean you to a certain ideology, it's gonna be greed, it's gonna be control, it's gonna be power, it's gonna be your influence of what you wanna see happen. And what he says is you can't start with that. You gotta start with who are you? And that story in, in the gospel where Jesus goes across the sea and he meets the man in the tomb who's possessed by the demon legion. And he says, what is your name? Which is also another way of saying, who are you? Yeah. And he says, my name is Legion for we are many. And he has no sense of grounded center. He has no, he has no unified identity. He's torn and, and asunder in so many different ways that he has no sense of who he is. And so it's this fixing that first. Yeah. Which I think is like super interesting when you uh, preach on that this week. There's a, there's a guy named Zygmunt Bauman um, who I think you ought to name your your grandson. Zygmunt. Zygmunt. I like I that. Think that. I think that'll go. I think he'll do well. Um, but Zygmunt. his name is Zygmunt Bauman. He wrote a book called Liquid Modernity, which says that like when you had these like when when you had uh, back in the old days um, when I was young, you had these um, um, these identities that were fixed. You kind of knew who you were. But but because of modernity, there's all these options that were given as people to be. Um, and so our identity is not fixed. It's extremely fluid. Hmm. And so I think most people feel like legion um, that we can, because we are many, right? There's, there's who am I supposed to be? Well, it's whoever I'm around. And so I can code switch. I can shift who I am. I'm not really sure about that because modernity has given us so many options, right? And being a Christian is one of those options, and that's supposed to kind of coat all the other options and make them kind of um, um, hold together. Um, but, um, but I think because of that, most folks walk around in this day and age feeling like legion. Who am I? Right? Um, and I think that's why the, that gospel you preached on last week was like super profound for me to realize that Christianity isn't to be the one that um, coats it all. It is to be the defining one. And that's, that's the lost art of following Jesus, I think. Hmm. That's, a, that's not about an evacuation plan. Yeah. I, I think the, you know, the, the, we haven't worked through all of these chapters yeah. and through all of these themes which intersect in Scripture, that one with the story of, of um, you know, the man with, the, with legion, possessed by legion. But I, I love how at the end of the story, when the demon is cast out and he has this sense of unified yep. purpose, yes. now he knows who he is. And now he knows what he wants. He wants to share the good news. And how he proposes to do it initially is, I wanna go with you, Jesus. And Jesus realizes, I think it was a powerful, and it doesn't say it specifically in the text, but he's like, no, you're not coming with me. Yeah. And I think what he's saying is, because if you come with me, you're just gonna sit beside me and you're gonna be in my shadow. You're gonna have a bigger platform. You're gonna, I'm sending you home. Mm -hmm. And the scripture says that from there for the rest of his days, he, he proclaimed the good news of all the things that had happened to him about Jesus in all the Decapolis. Well, the Decapolis was this huge 10 city geographic region. Yeah, yeah. So his influence was huge. His, his influence actually was bigger than the geographical spatial influence of Jesus himself. Right. It's crazy. And yeah. all because he, uh, Jesus delivered him a sense he knew he was. And yeah. so then what he want became clarified out of that relationship instead of what he wanted, instead yeah. of what he needed. And I think that's important for all of us. I think, um, you know, 
Thurman goes on in the other chapters, and we won't be able to get to to all of them. But I know you all have been working in storyboarding on some of, in this new digital worship experience mm-hmm. that we're that we're playing around with. Yeah. Um, about some stuff of, in wisdom and stature, but he talks in his second his, his second uh, par- his second what's the word chapter <laughs> on wisdom and stature. And he divides it into a couple of different things, but he talks about time first. But what I found fascinating was these three elements of wisdom. They're mm-hmm. up there on, this, on that uh, TV screen. And he says, first, wisdom comes from a reflective stance, the willingness and ability to reflect on life as it happens around us and reflect on your own experience. I just don't get the sense that people are very reflective anymore. Yeah. True. I think there's a lot of people who think they are wise and they're they're not very wise. Yeah, yeah, right. Yes, I think there's 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 some folks that I know that um, because they have a lot, they're able to recall a lot of information uh, quickly and then patch that together that they think that that's wisdom. Um, but if it is really about reflection and being uh, it's taking a reflective stance, and we've talked about this before, then. Um, this whole spiritual discipline of curiosity then stands central to wisdom, you know, mm-hmm. asking questions, being super curious about um, why I have uh, what, what Paul says, why do I do the things I don't want to do? Like, mm-hmm. that's a freaking great question, right? Yeah. That's not just rhetorical, but it's also reflective. Why do I do this? Why do I feel this? Why is this happening in the world? And becoming curious. Why do you feel that way? You know, mm. it's the art of asking good and curious questions. That's weird. I always thought that he was being dramatic. But to think that he's actually being reflective in that moment is interesting. That's yeah. different for me. <laughs> hey, I, I, don't, I don't know how reflective he always was, but he... I thought it was, he was like, why? Why do I do these things? So have y'all, have y'all watched the show Ted Lasso? Oh, love me some Ted Lasso. He has this quote in towards the end of the season where he is in a dart competition with the guy and, dart. and darts yeah. like in the in English the pub. <laughs> and he just has this great thing that I think has to do with wisdom. He goes, you know, guys have underestimated my whole life and for years I never understood why. And it used to really bother me. Then one day I was driving my little boy to school and I saw this quote by Walt Whitman painting on the wall and it said, be curious, not judgmental. I like that. So I get back in my car, I'm driving to work, and all of a sudden it hits me. All the fellas that used to belittle me, not a single one of them are curious. And I thought, they had everything all figured out. So they judge everything, they judge everyone. I realized they were underestimating me. Who I was had nothing to do with it. Because if they were curious, they would have asked questions like, do you know, like, questions, have you played a lot of darts, Ted? (laughs) To which I would have answered, yes, sir, every Sunday afternoon at a sports bar with my dad from 10 to 16. And then he goes, barbecue sauce, and he wins the dart. (laughs) And it's like, I love the quote because he's basically saying, I've been around these people who are not wise, um, and they're not curious. I think we don't live in a culture where people are curious anymore. We We just take the data or the information that's been given to us and we just wholeheartedly if it if it's confirmed with our worldview or our thought process we take it in yep. and if it's not we kick it out that's right and i know as a history major in a religious studies minor in college a liberal arts education you were taught 
to be curious, to investigate, to yes. question. Yes. No one seems to do that. And social media doesn't help in that. No, no, it does not cultivate that, right? I mean, that's why I think competition and wisdom cannot reside in the same space. Mm. Um, because if I'm attempting to compete, which is to one up, which is to, to assert myself, it's not taking the stance of reflection. And so reflection, uh, then a reflexive stance says, I have to open myself up, not dominate. Mm. And wisdom doesn't come from domination. It has to come through that, that it's, a, it's a different posture that one assumes, um, which needs you, which needs other folks. Well, and the second quality of wisdom is that it has an element of integrated living. And what that means is I have in mind that wisdom works the fruit of my reflective understanding into my actual life experience. It gets, wisdom should always be lived out in your actual life. It becomes a part of the way you live in the world. And so people who think they are wise and yet it never translates into their life, that's not, that's not wise. wisdom. No. That's self-importance yeah. is what yeah. it is. Yeah. It's like, I think I know better than anyone else, but I don't have to actually practice what I preach. Yeah, right. It's, it's one of the reasons why it's troubling as you preach the gospel in these days and you run across these key themes that have been from the beginning to the end, Old Testament, New Testament, around justice and compassion and mercy and kindness and gentleness and self-control. And our culture is like, no, 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 we don't have any, anything to do with those qualities. And so if you're preaching those qualities, you're attacking me or you're attacking my candidate or my person or my viewpoint. So you're being too political and therefore I'm gonna cut you off. Yeah. And I'm thinking, oh, this is yeah. really not a good place to be as a society <laughs> and, and as faith followers, Christ followers. No, no. You know, there's no, no. wisdom there. Yeah. The, the other thing about that integrative piece, John, I think is, is interesting to me, is it's um, uh, just riffing off of Paul a little. If he says, why do I do the things I don't want to do? There's a, there's a sense in which I don't know what to do with this part of me or this issue or this thing. And there's a couple stances we can take to those things that we don't know what to do with. We can turn towards it and open ourselves up. We can turn against it and attack, or we can turn away right and walk away and integration says i don't know what to do with this i'm going to stay with it long enough so it can connect with my soul in a way to where i have a conversation and i'm not turning against it and i'm not walking away from it but i'm turned toward it hmm. and so integration is really taking those things that cause conflict or shame or anxiety or something in our lives and we've stayed with it long enough to understand what it's asking from us. And then it becomes, this is what I think Jesus talks about, making friends with our enemies along the way. It's not just about folks that we hate or that are going to sue us or something. It really then it becomes about the things inside of us that we don't know what to do with. You know, and so Thurman talks about that in his chapter on growth and stature as he, as he talks about time. Yeah. And he says that waiting is actually spiritual discipline. And that as a baby, when you're an infant and you cry, you get immediate satisfaction. And that cry becomes the demand to meet whatever that need is. But as the baby grows older and the cry comes, there's a delay between yeah. the demand for satisfaction and the satisfaction that comes. And so a baby may cry, 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 and realize, well, no one's coming to meet my needs, so we stop. But as soon as we hear a noise in the other room, 
we don't know this at the time, we cry again because we're crying out for that thing. And he says that as we grow older, the delay between what we want to have us satisfied and receiving that grows longer, and it should. And that's the discipline of waiting and time that helps us to process and think through things, that we don't have immediate gratification. He says that's all thrown in, you know, all thrown into a mess when the grandparents come because, you know, the parents are teaching to wean you off of (laughs) things and to grow up. And grandpa's like, no, that child needs some food or whatever. (laughs) You know, we're going to give that child what she wants right now. (laughs) It doesn't matter. Not going to make that child wait. And I think, Uh, again, there are grown adults in this world who have never understood spiritual waiting time to sit in conflict and chaos and not get it resolved in the moment, but to sit and be present in it and to work out with fear and trembling their own sense of how do I fit in this moment of chaos when I'm not in control? And how do I now rely even more on God, on the Holy Spirit in this moment when my particular candidate does or does not win? or my particular party does or does not win, Mm -hmm. can I sit in this and go, it's gonna be okay because I'm grounded in something way bigger than all of that. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I think the last thing I'll say to to today is, you know, he, he talks about wisdom always carries with it a basic humility. You will almost never find wisdom in a narcissist or a person with an inflated sense of self. A wise person will never tell you they are wise, but their wisdom is evident to everyone. Mm. I love that. And I think that um, if we're going to find space in this where we find healing and wholeness in the midst of this election, which is very, uh, you know, divisive on a lot of areas by a lot of people, is that no matter what where you fall in this, no matter what happens, can you find a place where there's redemption, reconciliation, where there's humility, and where you can learn to be a Christian in this new reality that may not be the reality you scripted, but I think of all the Christians through all the years, I think of even of the life of Jesus, who knew what his purpose was, and he knew who he was, but he didn't always get to draw the way to it. You know, he was led, arrested, dragged out, beaten, mm-hmm. um, and then killed. And it wasn't what he scripted out. Yeah, yeah. And yet God worked the greatest act of reconciliation and salvation and renewal through this moment where God, where Christ himself humbles himself to be a servant and to suffer and to die for us mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. I, I, that's a really that's beautiful. I, I think that humility and wisdom are um, walk hand in hand because, he, at least in my experience, that humility comes from um, a pain uh, and from a brokenness and from something that hasn't worked out that hasn't I'm right size. There's a almost sometimes humility and humiliation seem to have walked closely together, you know, in those experiences, and so. A, um, a narcissist or a person that's really puffed up will always be trying to put on an air about something where humility understands that at the at the core of us we're all born broken 
you know, it's, it's the Stephen Fry. We were all born broken. We live by mending. God's yeah. grace is the glue. You know, yeah. and, and so that's, that's where I think that, that then wisdom comes out of that broken, vulnerable spot um, that really then is open and curious about your brokenness and your vulnerability. And then we can share that because wisdom is a we thing. Yeah. Right. It's a communal practice. It's it's never see, sit sits in one person. Um, it's a, really is a communal practice that we all get to um, partake in uh, in the communion of saints. Um, yeah. Well, we need wisdom. Come we on, need godliness. So, all right. So next week, next we're going to talk about um, some tips and some tools for how to prepare for the election. Yeehaw. So we've got the spiritual disciplines in place. Yes. Next week we'll talk more specifically about all of that. So, you know, I'm just ready for it to be over. Yeah, yeah. So we can focus on other things. Are you? I am too. I'm too. I've been, you know, I've, I've. It's been a, it's been an odd thing being in in um, in COVID and then trying to also manage all of the information. You know, when you're when you're kind of locked down and. And uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, looking f- I'm looking forward to kind of being on the other side of the tension. We'll get there. Whatever that is. Well, I'm John Stevens. I'm Matt Russell. And this is Pod Have Mercy. Mm-hmm.